Manuel, 33 years old. El Salvador is green and lush, has an excellent climate, gorgeous beaches, and hard-working people. It is not a poor country, but an impoverished one, because it has been plundered so much by our rulers. El Salvador's biggest problem is violence and crime, specifically the gangs, groups like the MS, the Mara Salvatrucha, and the Barrio 18. I would even dare to say that the country is being governed by them, not by our rulers. The gangs are the ones that run the country as they please, and there is no one to stop them. I lived in one of the most violent municipalities in the country. I was born there and grew up there. At school I had classmates who lived in different parts of the neighborhood. As you grow up, you begin to distinguish between different gang territories. Then you see that your classmates begin to walk differently, speak differently, act differently. However, I was still in touch with all my classmates and always got along very well with everyone. I was not afraid to go to other parts of the neighborhood or even to nearby neighborhoods to see my friends. In my innocent head, I thought that since I was not looking for trouble, I was not going to get into trouble. I lived in MS territory, and the church that I went to since I was a kid was in Barrio 18 territory, so they never saw me as a threat, I thought. When I was about 14 or 15, things started to change, because the gang's offers were becoming more evident. Those in the MS said that I had to belong to their gang because I lived in their territory. Those in the Barrio 18 insisted that I belong to their group because they were going to take care of me and protect me. But I had other aspirations. I had always rejected the idea of someday having to belong to a gang. I always told them that I had nothing against them, but I was also not in favor of them. Sometimes, because of the degree of trust and closeness I had with some of them, I was very rude to them, told them that they were completely crazy. We grew up together, went to school together, lived in the same neighborhood. It saddened me to see how some of them ended up drug addicts or threatening to kill me if I did not join their gang or did not collaborate with them. I remember that when I was 16 years old, I witnessed a 14-year-old kid, whom I thought was my friend, kill a friend of ours. When I saw him again, I asked him why he had killed our friend. He told me that this is how things were, and that I should not get mixed up in things that were none of my business. What he said next stuck in my mind, because it later appeared as a graffiti on a wall. He said, Here you only see, hear, and shut up, if you do not want to get into trouble. A few days later, opposite the street where I lived, I saw a graffiti that read, See, hear, and shut up. One day when I was studying public relations at the university, I got off the bus near my house and was shot at. I was surprised at first. I even thought that I was in the wrong place at the wrong time, that the attack was not meant for me. I believed that I had no problems with anyone, that I owed nothing to anyone. I always got along well with the people in my neighborhood, was always very involved in the community organization, in the church, in everything. For many years I was also a volunteer at the telethon and the university. Then the gang members came looking for me and told me that it had been a warning, that the idea had not been to kill me, 
but they made it clear that when they found me, they were not going to think twice about filling me with lead. That is what they told me in those exact words. A classmate of mine from the third grade told me so. He said, if we are not friends, we are going to be enemies. Because if you are friends with the other guys, you are my enemy. I remember that after that, he never spoke to me again. And every time I saw him, I felt afraid. I even stopped walking through my neighborhood. Instead, I walked around the whole block to grab the bus somewhere else. That was when I began to live in fear. Sometimes I even dreamed that I saw them on the roof of my house. I thought sooner or later they were going to kill me. I even thought that I was going to have to pick a gang. When I was about to finish university, some friends and I had the idea of creating a youth movement called Youth Against Violence. The idea was not to stop the violence in the country, because we always believed that the violence is something that is never going to end. But we did dream of one day working on youth policies and trying to reduce acts of violence in the country. We even received the support of USAID and the European Union. Then I decided to withdraw from the movement, to focus on my work. I feel like my job in the city hall of my municipality was the final trigger for my problems with the gangs. The city was one of the violence-free municipalities that were part of the gang truce during the administration of President Mauricio Funes. Between 2012 and 2015, I was a public relations officer and managed the mayor's communications team. I was almost always by the mayor's side at his public events, taking photographs and videos. When I was not in the field, I was on social media, writing speeches or sorting out the details of interviews and media reports. That job required me to approach many people. During the truce, I had to talk about that initiative and get in touch with gang leaders. As a public relations officer, it was my job to get the population to believe that the truce was a success and that the mayor had brought peace to the municipality. As part of this spectacle, Gang leaders and some government officials, including from the central government, were brought together to sign a peace pact. It was great to see rival gang leaders shaking hands, even hugging each other and apologizing for committing crimes. Any citizen would be touched by that and have very high hopes. I feel that the truce was a political stunt that never worked. The main objective of the truce was to stop the murder of citizens. The gang leaders were given benefits so that no murders would be committed. Yes, there was a very large reduction in homicides, but how many people began to disappear during that truce? Because the homicides no longer meant, I go, grab the person in the street, put five, six bullets in them and leave them there. Instead, the thinking went, I had better get rid of the person so that nobody knows where they are. That was not in some public policy, but it is something that I became aware of. There came a time when the truce broke down, and there were many murders between the two gangs, including within the Barrio 18. There were many murders near my house, to the point that it was very common for us neighbors to hear shootings. It was quite normal for us to go to the store to buy some things and see a gang member lying shot in the street. People were also regularly extorted. Robberies were committed in broad daylight. Gang members got on buses and robbed everyone. From my point of view as a citizen, the truce never worked. Although I also have my point of view as a government employee and the government said the truce was a success. I saw it from both sides and 
From my point of view, the truce was something that never really bore fruit. I was repeatedly threatened by the gangs. I came to feel a kind of hatred for the gang members because they even came along and violated the tranquility of my house. I lived in a triangle where the borders of the territory of the MS and the territories of the Barrio 18 factions ended. There was a division within the Barrio 18. To get to work, I had to leave the territory of the MS and go through the territories of the two factions of the Barrio 18. Since I lived at the point where the three groups' territories butted up against one another, my house was sometimes used as a bridge. If a Barrio 18 gang member wanted to go and murder someone in MS territory, they could easily climb on the roof of my house and return that same way to their territory. Sometimes the police came and knocked down the door of my house because they thought we were hiding gang members. One time I came home to find the doors knocked down and the house in disarray. I panicked and said to my mom, what happened? She said to me, the police came in and turned everything upside down. I want to know if you are mixed up in something because they took marijuana out of your room and said you were selling marijuana to gang members. That was a surprise for me, something I could not understand. I think the police officers left the marijuana in my room because the gang members carried out their attacks from the roof, but they never broke into my house. And when they did come in, they just stopped for a few minutes to catch their breath and then they were gone. So that time I went to the police. I did not go to file a complaint. I went to insult the police for what they had done because I felt very offended by them. I really like plants. I had very nice trees in my garden. But since the gang members used them to climb onto the roof, I had to cut everything down. That caused me problems because the gang members came and asked me why I was getting in their way, why I had cut down all the trees. But cutting down the trees did not stop them because they always came up with something else. They had all sorts of tricks to get onto the roof and do something illegal. Members of the MS went over to the territory of the Barrio 18 and members of the Barrio 18 went over to the territory of the MS over my house. So both gangs thought I was collaborating with the other side. The Barrio 18 tried to kill me because they thought that I collaborated with the MS and the MS tried to kill me because they thought that I collaborated with the Barrio 18. To stop this situation without knowing anything about construction and brickwork, I bought bricks and built a wall with my own hands. Following that, I was seriously attacked in my home. The kids of the MS came and put a pistol to my head. They said they would give me 24 hours to leave my house, otherwise they were going to kill me and my whole family. I was so scared that I went to the police station that same day and told them what was happening. I did not know what to do anymore. But the police officer said to me, there is nothing we can do. I cannot send an officer to take care of you because all the gang would do is turn around and retaliate. Not only are you going to be the victim, but your family and friends will be too. Because the gang members do not act against those that they hate, they act against the people close to that person. So what you do is create more conflict. I cannot go and stir things up. If you do not feel safe, go away. Find yourself another place to live. And that was exactly what happened. A patrol car came to the house and the gang members came and shot at me. I had no choice but to flee my home. I remember that I went to a friend and he said to me, you can't stay here, you already have a long history. 
So I went to the house of one of my brothers. And I do not know how the, the news spread, but they quickly came looking for me, even though I was now in a territory controlled by the Mau Mau, a rival gang of the MS. If I had felt a little bit more protected by the police, I would not have left El Salvador. I was expecting a different kind of response. I was expecting to be told that they were going to open an investigation. But the police never even gave me the hope that they were going to investigate or that they were going to do something. Actually, I never saw myself living far from my family, from my country. I thought about going away for a while, getting away from all of this, allowing things to settle down, and then returning to my normal life. I was planning to stay in Guatemala because I have a brother who lives there. The bus I was on went straight to the border with Mexico. I had to choose between getting off and staying with my brother or going on to Tecunumán. I remember that halfway through Guatemala, I called my brother again and he said, if the gang members have already tried to kill you, they will look for you until they find you. I do not want you in my house. If you come dragging problems from over there, go and drag them somewhere else. So, I had no choice but to cross the border into Mexico. In Tapachula, I applied for asylum. I was very lucky because they received me as soon as I got there and made a decision within about a month and a half. Later, migration called me to give me my permanent resident card. Then I went to Tapachula and I realized that there are a lot of people who have been there for five, six months and have not yet received a decision. When I got asylum, the Comar was not overwhelmed with asylum applications. I lost all my school reports and everything when my house was ransacked, because two days after I left my house, gang members vandalized it and turned it into a gang hangout. My mom had already moved, because I was scared and asked her to leave. She got together with a man, one of those farmers who is not afraid of the devil himself, and I heard that he went with a machete ready to cut off the head of whoever was in the house. The man painted and restored the house a little, but nobody in my family has the courage to go and live there. The only thing I managed to recover was a duplicate copy of my high school diploma. But in order to get the diploma accepted in Mexico, I needed documentation that I no longer have. The easiest thing was to go back to study, starting with primary school. After six months, I graduated from primary school. And after another six months, I graduated from secondary school. I was hoping that the UNHCR would help me get through high school, but they told me that they can't do that. At this point in my life, I'm not interested in studying for a new career to make money. Maybe if I studied for a degree in psychology or physiotherapy, I could help someone. I'd like to help people who have been through the things that I've been through, because for me, they have been very traumatic things. Now I am just grateful that I have food and a place to live and that I can walk safely through the streets. Ever since I had a gun pointed at my head, life has had little value for me. I am always thinking how, from one moment to the next, anyone can rob me of my last moments of life. I have been in Mexico for five years and to this day I have not stopped being afraid. To this day, my skin bristles when a migrant approaches the window of my car to ask me for money. To this day, I am scared when I need to stop and watch the train go by with graffiti on its wagons, or when I see a train go by with migrants 
hanging on its sides. I think they are gang members. I've come to have nightmares. I feel that everything is a threat. If I suddenly see someone on the corner who may be waiting for someone, I think he is a gang member. In El Salvador, we call them posteadores. I mean, I think this person is there to watch me, to snoop on me. I don't know. You don't stop living with that feeling, with that fear. When you see a person with tattoos up to the neck, you don't stop getting goosebumps and thinking very negative things. Because in El Salvador, if someone is covered in tattoos, it's not because they like the art of tattoos. I have no intention of returning to my country. On the contrary, I would like to bring my mum over here and have her here with me, which has been very difficult for me to do. I have tried three times and my requests have been denied. I would like to see El Salvador heal the wounds of its violence and become a country where you can walk safely through the streets without breathing in so much tension. A country where you can feel protected by the police and don't worry that the police themselves are afraid of gang members. A country where the army does not have to take care of the schools because that creates terror in people. I feel that the armed forces are there to defend the nation in a war. El Salvador is in a silent war. But I feel that violence begets violence. I think governments should sit down to develop more effective policies to try to reduce violence, not continue failed iron fist policies. I would like the mayors, the congressmen, the presidents of the republic, all the rulers, to start by changing their way of thinking, so, so that everyone works to promote peace in the country. If I could picture a change in Mexico, I would emphasize improved accessibility to public services. It does not strike me that education is very accessible here, nor that health services are of good quality. If we don't have social security, we need to pay for health services even if they are public. If I could ask for a change in Mexico, it would be a policy aimed at the equality of nationality, so to speak. I've noticed that many people come here with every intention of getting ahead in this country, but there are places, especially at the southern border, where nobody gives migrants work, even if they have all the required documentation. And if you get work, you get paid very little and receive no benefits. During the three years that I lived in Tapachula, I had jobs where my Mexican colleagues earned 600 pesos a week, but I, as a Central American, earned only 300 pesos a week. And my work was the same or even harder than that of the Mexicans. I never received any benefits or social security or anything like that. Mexicans complain when Americans mistreat migrants over there, but Mexicans over here treat us worse. Companies think it is wrong to hire Central Americans. So, I think Mexico should do more to make the population aware of the rights of migrants. Oh, yeah.